Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Ijanoclast. I'm your host, John A. Lancaster. For this episode, I'm going to be deconstructing a well-circulated Associated Press video, which covers several Congress members' experiences on the January 6th Capitol Donnybrook. The video was approximately 3 minutes and 30 seconds long, and consisted of four Congress members, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Peter Welch, Rashida Tlaib, and Cori Bush, respectively, all Democrats, of course, relaying their personal accounts of that trepid event. I could give a brief summary of the video's contents, but considering its short length, it would be easier for me to just play it for fair use. So here it is. But warning for those of you who have a low tolerance for drivel, you may want to prepare yourself. Days ago, on January 6th of 2021, insurrectionists attacked our capital, seeking to overturn the results of our nation's election. 29 days ago, the glass in and around this very chamber was shattered by gunshots, clubs, by individuals seeking to restrain and murder members of Congress, duly elected to carry out the duties of their office. 29 days ago, Officer Sicknick, who just laid in honor yesterday in our nation's capital, was murdered on the steps just outside this hollowed floor. Sadly, less than 29 days later, with little to no accountability for the bloodshed and trauma of the 6th, some are already demanding that we move on, or worse, attempting to minimize, discredit, or belittle the accounts of survivors. Because it never occurred to me that with all the anger and hostility I saw, with those groups of people that were marching in a formation, that when I was later sitting up in that gallery with many of my colleagues, as the proceedings were taking place, it never, ever occurred to me that this building would be invaded. And I worry every day for their lives because of this rhetoric. I never thought that they would feel unsafe here. And so I asked my colleagues to please try not to dehumanize what's happening. This is real. And so I remember sitting in the office with my team and just thinking to myself, I feel like I'm back at this very minute. I feel like I'm back. I feel like this was one of the days out there on the streets when the white supremacists would show up and start shooting at us. This is one of the days when the police would ambush us from behind, from behind trees and from behind buildings. And all of a sudden now we're on the ground being brutalized. It felt like one of those days. And I just remember taking a second thinking, if they touch these doors, if they hit these doors, the way they hit that door, if they hit these doors and come anywhere near my staff, and I'm just going to be real honest about it, my thought process was, we banging to the end. I'm not letting them take out my people, and you're not taking me out. We've come too far. Each and every one of us on this very floor, we swore that we will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies foreign and domestic, even though that constitution wasn't written for people who look like me, even that constitution wasn't written 
by people who look like me. And even though that constitution cemented an unjust nation for people like me, my team and I got to work and we unveiled legislation to investigate and expel those who were responsible for inciting this attack so that we could defend it because we have a duty to fight for a more perfect union because we cannot stand up to white supremacy in this because if we cannot stand up to white supremacy in this moment as representatives, then why did you run for office in the first place? All right. There's a lot to unpack here. So I'm going to start with the broad concept and work my way into the specifics. What you heard here, listeners, was an example of political theater. I'm not talking about the written and rehearsed plays one might see on Broadway or wherever the go-to spot is for plays nowadays, but the stage-based dramatics, the kind of grandstanding that our duly elected officials perform to elicit sympathy from the public before they pounce on our freedoms and rights. In order to explain political theater, I'm going to be using excerpts from a 2016 Washington Post article titled Notes on Political Theater, The Perils of Spectacle. It's ironic considering that this piece was a criticism of Trump voters, yet I'm using it against anti-Trump Democrats. Anyway, I quote, In the public sphere, political theater is synonymous with empty show. It's a gesture, posturing, grandstanding, sound and fury, likely to be signaling no genuine idea, but certainly indicating a play for power. Theater people know about spectacle. It's the cheapest tool in the kit. It's often the most popular. It goes back to Aristotle, who observed in The Poetics, the spectacle is the least valuable element of tragedy. The effect of spectacle is visceral, not intellectual. It's thrill. Unquote. This abridged definition fits perfectly in with the crocodile tear contest put out by our public servants. Their words were meant to elicit visceral reactions, not illuminate the true gravity of the situation. Think about it. AOC puts emphasis on the supposed intentions of the Capitol stormers, claiming the intruders meant to restrain and murder Congress members. While this could possibly be true for some of them, one would only have to look at the fate of Ashley Babbitt to see what would have happened to any individual who actually did get a little too close to the senators and representatives. Now, compare that to the 1923 Beer Hall Putsch when Adolf Hitler, along with 600 other national socialists, and the aid of a World War I military hero, General Erich von Ludendorff, stormed the Bergenbraukaller Beer Hall and held the Bavarian Triumvirate hostage until they agreed to support Hitler's plan to imitate Mussolini's march on Rome and seize Munich. Also, consider the 1954 House Chamber shooting 
when four members of the Puerto Rican Nationalist Party opened fire on the House floor, injuring five congressmen. Shmuel Klatskin of the American Spectator links these two notable examples by virtue of, of the participants having a clear, discernible plan of overthrowing the government. Not, as Gladskin puts it, something that looked like, quote, an alcohol-powered high school gang prank that spontaneously gathered momentum, unquote. One of my followers, Will at Historic Studios, he does good work, you should check him out, shared a Politico article detailing a bombing of the U.S. Capitol in 1983. The bomb was planted under the bench outside the Senate chamber by a group that would be known as the Resistance Conspiracy. Whether or not one agrees with Klatskin's assessment, and regardless of how one views the pro-Trump Capitol stormers, there is a clear difference in the amount of danger posed between these insurrections and what happened on January 6th. Furthermore, AOC's claim that Officer Sicknick was murdered on the steps just outside the hollow floor is a completely baseless accusation. Check out this report from CNN. Quote, In Sicknick's case, it's still not known publicly what caused him to collapse the night of the insurrection. Findings from, from a medical examiner's review have not yet been released, and authorities have not made any announcement about the ongoing process. According to one law enforcement official, medical examiners did not find signs that the officer sustained any blunt force trauma, so investigators believe that early reports that he was fatally struck by a fire extinguisher are not true. One possibility being considered by the investigators is that Sicknick became ill after interacting with a chemical irritant like pepper spray or bear spray that was deployed in the crowd. But investigators reviewing video of the officer's time around the Capitol haven't been able to confirm that in tape that's been recovered so far, the official said. The case could also be complicated if Signick had a pre-existing medical condition. It could not be learned if he did. Unquote. But of course, respecting nuance and accurately portraying evidence won't make for compelling oratory. So it's unlikely that you'll hear this kind of information openly preached in the halls of Congress. Then there's Cory Bush. This is probably the most potent example of bombastic language. A person's perception of events does not determine the amount of danger the event posed. Just because Cory Bush was reminded of terrible injustices by the Capitol Storm does not mean the Capitol Storm was the equivalent of those terrible injustices. Typically, when trying to discern how dangerous a thing or a person is, we look at how much damage something or someone may do to us. 
That's why a tiger or a grizzly bear is considered more dangerous than a rabbit or a squirrel. That's also why those who commit the crime of capital murder are considered more dangerous than those who are busted for personal amounts of marijuana, citrus paribus. Because in both of those examples, the former has a much greater capacity to harm an individual than the latter. Even if a person has a debilitating fear of rabbits, squirrels, or marijuana, and thus places a higher value on abstaining from rabbits, squirrels, and marijuana than, let's say, tigers, grizzly bears, or capital murderers, that person's value system tells us nothing about the nature of rabbits, squirrels, and marijuana. It only speaks to the person's value system. Likewise, Cory Bush's flashbacks tell us nothing about the incident itself. Furthermore, her quips about the Constitution not being written for blacks or by blacks is an absolutely meaningless observation. First of all, first of all, by the logic that pervades the members of her group, Black Lives Matter, that would make her a coon. You know, the fact that she's fighting to uphold the same document that was used to oppress blacks for centuries. Yes, that that action would be an act of coonery, based on logic by her people. And, you know, that's what she said. She said, we, including, you know, herself, swore that we will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, even though that Constitution wasn't written for people who look like me, even though that Constitution wasn't written by people who looked like me, and even though that Constitution cemented an unjust nation for people like me. So... She's upholding a historically racist document, which is coonery. Unless she's saying that the Constitution was used for racial injustice in the past, and she's highlighting that she put that behind her to benefit the nation. But even if that was true, it's an insignificant point. There's plenty of blacks who support the Constitution. Besides, virtually all politicians claim to support the Constitution. It's practically a requirement for the job. So you'll almost never find any open dissenters. And then there's those two who appeared in the middle of the video who were so shocked that some citizens who withstood the shutdown of the economy, millions being put on welfare, untold amounts of women and children being placed in positions to be mentally, physically, and sexually abused via lockdowns, months of BLM slash Antifa riots, and getting stiffed on their COVID relief check might be a bit angry with the political establishment. You know, people think politicians are stupid. But this goes beyond stupidity. This is just feigning ignorance. Nothing more, nothing less. Feigning ignorance 
of the damage that's been done to the American people by the duly elected officials. Now, of course, I don't support any coup d'etat. I didn't support the Capitol storm, nor do I currently support it. And I'm far from a militant. But I'm also not going to fall prey to the brouhaha being stirred up from Leviathan. That's it for this episode of the Ijanoclast. The relevant links are in the description. If you enjoyed this episode of the Ijanoclast, you can help out by sharing on social media, leaving a like, and spreading the word. More of my work can be found on my website, johnalancaster.com. There you will find my essays, curated videos, and spoken word poems on topics similar to the Ijanoclast. You will also find on my website some merchandise. I've just rolled out some new designs, including a few for Black History Month. Check it out. You may be interested. Anyhow, thank you for listening. God bless.